So Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. We are probably a little bit familiar uh, with it, uh, my guess is. And, uh, and so it's, I'm glad that uh, you are here today because it really is a, uh, a very important day uh, for us. Now, uh, you know, uh, as I said last night, the reason, the, probably the primary reason why this holiday is uh, not as uh, well uh, celebrated as the others is because it doesn't have other holidays attached to it. Uh, what I mean by that is, if you look at the calendar, the Jewish calendar, uh, you see that uh, there are three uh, feasts of, uh, of ingathering, right? It's in uh, Exodus chapter 23, Numbers 28, and a few other places. And uh, one of them is in the spring, right? That's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, and it's so associated with Passover, it's also just called Passover, usually. Uh, and then uh, you have an early spring harvest that's associated with that also. Uh, then you have, uh, in the fall... Uh, Sukkot, right? Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, associated with that is Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But sort of dangling out there by itself is uh, Shavuot. And uh, uh, the word uh, Shavuot means uh, sevens. And uh, uh, it takes place uh, 49 plus one days. Seven times seven is 49 and one extra day. 50 days after the early spring harvest. Uh, but there are no other days uh, associated with it. And uh, that is probably uh, the main reason why traditionally the uh, holiday is known mostly for the time of receiving of the Torah. It's not in the Bible, it doesn't say that. But if you look at the dates of, uh, you know, the, from when uh, our people came out of Egypt, it was approximately at this time, so it may very well have been at this time, uh, when um, uh, Moses received the Torah uh, at, at Sinai. And so when you think about it, boy, this should be a greatly celebrated holiday, because in the Jewish world, it's sort of like the birthday of the chosen people, you might say. That uh, if you read the Jewish books on the topic, uh, you read, for example, uh, you know, Abraham was uh, called out by God, and so he was the beginning of the, uh, of the Jewish people worshiping one God. But when uh, Moses received the Torah, that in itself, that in a sense was the beginning of the chosen people, the, the uh, calling out of Israel to serve God. And in reality, what it was, it was going from one man to him, him and his son and his family to his son and his family uh, to uh, the 12 tribes and their descendants. Uh, and now you have the whole family uh, hundreds of years after the calling out of, of Abraham. But it's at this moment, and as I said a few minutes ago, that event at Sinai is this great revelation of God entering into covenant relationship uh, like a marriage. Uh, and you know, it's interesting when you think about it, there's a passage that we're familiar with when you say like a marriage. 
If you uh, look in your Bible at uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, this is uh, where Jeremiah describes the new covenant, what the people had to look forward to. You're familiar with it. It says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, then look what it says. Although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. And so here, uh, Jeremiah kind of articulates this, that this was a marriage. That uh, just as, uh, you know, you think about ancient Jewish marriage customs, where uh, the husband-to-be goes and gets the wife, right? And then brings her to the marriage uh, ceremony or place. And then uh, the marriage uh, is consummated and there's a celebration and there is uh, a ketubah. And so one could say that uh, God went uh, into Egypt and brought the people out of Egypt and brought them to Sinai to the wedding. And there it was consummated in that he revealed himself in his, in his great revelation. And the people said, I do. And then God gave them this, gave her, one might say, uh, this ketubah. But as soon as the ketubah was in process, there was already adultery taking place via the golden calf. And, uh, and so here uh, the words of Jeremiah uh, are very real when he says, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But God never, never left them. Even though they broke the covenant, the covenant was still there. The covenant that God had made uh, with uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even the covenant that he made with Moses. We could just say it got off to a real rocky start and kind of stayed that way. Uh, but God uh, never left Israel. He never uh, forsook them. Uh, and so that is why we read from time to time of this marital, this rocky marital relationship between uh, God and the Jewish people. You see it also in the book of uh, Hosea, right? You know that story that Hosea himself uh, had to go and act out this kind of rocky relationship. He buys back his wife, who had become an adulteress, right? And it says in the third chapter that, uh, you know, that uh, he would uh, not leave them, not leave her, nor forsake her, but they would not have an intimate relationship. Uh, and so the relationship was there, but it was uh, not uh, a, a healthy, normal relationship. And so God's relationship with Israel uh, has not been what, might, what we might say has been a healthy relationship because uh, the day must come of repentance. The day must come of return. And that's why Jeremiah says that, uh, says how much God loves the people. He says, but this is the covenant that I'm going to make with Israel after those days. I will put my law within them on their heart. I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
They shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin uh, I will remember no more. And then he goes on to say, uh, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, the fixed order of the moon and the stars uh, for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that it, its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. And so he's saying, I'm going to give them a ketubah. I'm going to give you a ketubah that you cannot, that, that, is, that is unbreakable. Because what I'm going to do is I am going to realize this ketubah myself. I'm going to become responsible for your obedience uh, of uh, the marriage covenant. See? Uh, and uh, that is exactly uh, what, uh, what he does uh, in ascending Yeshua. You see, uh, in uh, the Gospel of John... In chapter 1, in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, grace and truth were realized uh, through Yeshua the Messiah. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. So what we see here is that, uh, yes, the Torah, the Ketubah, one might say, is given through Moses, is mediated through Moses. You might say Moses officiated at the wedding. You know, Moses brings the people together with God. Okay? But then it says grace and truth were realized through Messiah Yeshua. And so that led us to the place where the groom himself uh, consummates the marriage with the bride in such a unique way that the bride now is empowered through the work of the groom to live this great, to have a great marriage. You see? Now the bride still can be disobedient, but the groom has empowered the bride in such a way uh, that uh, she has the freedom to love and to serve and the groom loves and serves uh, the, the bride. Now, we might wonder why it says in John 1.17, grace and truth. Why does it say grace and truth? Wouldn't it have been easier and more understandable if he would have just said, for the law was given through Moses, but the law was realized through Messiah Yeshua. That would have been fine and dandy. But grace and truth are not something that you can write on stone, right? Grace and truth are not something you can, like, put in your pocket. Uh, uh, grace and truth are uh, concepts, right? And so that is why when Yeshua came, he didn't literally put, he didn't put stones in our heart. He did not, like, literally put a piece of stone with the words of the law written like, like, like a pacemaker, like underneath the skin. You know what I mean? Uh, no, he didn't do that. But he, I'm going to use this term that we don't know. He mystically placed within us the Torah. 
He did it invisibly, uh, whatever terminology you like to use. But he did it in such a way that the Torah is on our heart. Not uh, literal words, but grace and truth. Grace and truth epitomize, you might say, grace and truth are an inward description of the laws which are an outward description, okay? And so the realization of the Torah is not something you can see. The realization is the very presence of God dwelling within us. And we know from what we read in, uh, elsewhere in the Brit Hadashah, the mechanism of that taking place is the indwelling Ruach HaKodesh. The mechanism of God dwelling within us. This is the mechanics of spirituality, right? Okay, the mechanism of, of uh, the Torah dwelling within us, of Yeshua dwelling within us, of being empowered by God, is the reality of the Ruach HaKodesh. Okay? And outwardly, we know that in Acts chapter 2, as Joyce read, that there was, just like there was outward signs and wonders when Moses received the Torah at Sinai, there were outward signs and wonders when the Ruach HaKodesh was poured out. But the difference is, is that the people did not build a calf uh, when Peter spoke his words. Because you see, God had placed this Torah within them. And they showed uh, a supernatural sign of this by speaking varieties of languages and everybody could understand each other. It was this tremendous sign of unity. And in a way, what you have in Acts chapter 2 is a paradigm of like a microcosm of what will eventually be in the whole world. What you have uh, in Acts chapter 2 are Jewish people from all over the world representing, one might even say, nations all over the world. And you also had foreign uh, people. Uh, uh, the Bible says Arabs. The Bible says Cretans. Uh, you have people from other nations all gathered together in one place. And then immediately it says after that, if you read the rest of the chapter, they, uh, they gathered together. They had all things in common. Uh, they ate meals together. Uh, they shared their goods. Uh, and they were gathering around the, the word of God and they were praying together. And it sounds kind of like what you read in Isaiah chapter 2. In Isaiah chapter 2, it says here, beginning in verse 2. Now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not lift up sword against nation, nor will they learn war. And then it goes on to say, Come, house of Jacob, let us walk 
in the light of the Lord, and so on. It goes on. But the point of it is, is that what you see in Acts chapter 2 is like a little picture of that in one place. And out from that comes the body of Messiah uh, in order to uh, testify of this uh, great work of God and those who come and embrace the Messiah and have grace and truth realized within them, have the Torah realized within them, live this life of deliverance. Deliverance from envy, deliverance from hatred and strife. In fact, if you read carefully in uh, Galatians chapter 2 about the fruit of the Spirit and the de- versus the deeds of the flesh, you see, the fruit of the Spirit, in a way, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, they are concepts that describe the Torah, how it's played out, how, uh, uh, how we love our neighbor as ourself, and all of those verses that, uh, you know, that we read about in, in the Torah. In Galatians chapter 5, we could read it this way. The deeds of the flesh is what we have been in bondage to is in our human condition, just in the human condition prior to the coming of the Messiah. Okay? Immorality, impurity, this is verse 19. Uh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and then it says things like these. These types of things, this is what we are in bondage to. Look, what is the problem with the world that we live in? Well, just read this off. The deeds of the flesh. That's why there are wars. That's why, that's why you have what's going on in the Ukraine. That's why you have what's going on in Syria. That's why you have what's going on in, in, uh, you know, in the Middle East and Israel and Palestinians. That's why you have what's going on in all over the United States and inner cities. That's why you have to lock your doors. That's why uh, you're not going to walk around in downtown uh, Detroit or maybe even Columbus uh, at night. That's why uh, you have to lock your car. That's why you put your things in the trunk. That's why uh, you read the newspaper and you see horrendous crimes. That's why you have children's services. That's why you have uh, abuse. That's why you have uh, all this slavery in this world even today. You can, they all can come under the headings of the deeds of the flesh. Every single one of them. But you see, now that the Ruach HaKodesh has been poured out, Yeshua died for our sins. He paid the judgment price, you see, for all of this. And then he was raised from the dead, displaying the deliverance. And then he taught his disciples, right, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and then on Shavuot poured out the Ruach HaKodesh, which is whom he promised so that we would not be alone. And so that we would be empowered, even though he left, when you read John 14 carefully, uh, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. And all the things that he describes that the Ruach HaKodesh does is what he was doing when he was uh, with them. But what the Ruach does is he internalizes within us this truth. He makes it real. This tra- a spiritual transaction actually takes place. It's not just we believe it. 
but there's a, a transaction that takes place. That's what it means to have a circumcised heart, see? And so now we've been delivered so that now we no longer have to envy. We no longer are bound by immorality. Idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, dissension. And we are not bound by that. God has now given us an alternative lifestyle, an alternative way of life for all who embrace Messiah. But by saying it that way, it's kind of like, well, for those who embrace Messiah. No, it's for everybody in the whole world who will accept it. This is the answer to all of the world's problems. Not just like my sore knee or something, you know? This is the answer to problems in high school, problems in college, problems of people, problems all over the world. Everything is bound up in what Yeshua has done. That's why there will be peace when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Yeshua is Lord. Then the whole world will be transformed. See? But we need, as the tip of the sword, those who have indeed embraced Yeshua for whom this transaction has taken place. We are still, we still have this flesh. And this flesh is still, we might say, the remnants of the shackles. But the great news is we do not have to live that way because the Ruach HaKodesh, God has empowered us via the Holy Spirit to be able to live out that ketubah and to have this great marriage with God in Yeshua and to live what Yeshua calls an abundant life. You know, isn't it something when you, uh, uh, you look at a husband and wife and they talk about what a great marriage they have? I mean, let's face it, right? They talk about what, and you see it's really true. Like, you know, they're not putting on airs. And you think to yourself, oh, oh, that's nice. You know, wouldn't that be nice, right? Well, you know, it takes discipline. It takes communication. It takes dying to self. It, it, you know, takes great humility. It takes patience. It takes peace. Uh, it takes goodness. It takes faithfulness. It takes self-control. Oh, look, and things like that. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The wonderful thing is we don't have to work it up. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of the flesh that embraces the Spirit. The fruit of the, it is God oozing out of you. It is the very presence of God oozing out of you. And so on Shavuot, we're celebrating that wedding. We're celebrating that consummation. We're celebrating that great day when God committed himself to us, when he took, I mean, I could, uh, I could go, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that is where Paul compares Moses bringing the Torah down and what we have in Yeshua. We become a living letter, he says, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're living letters. We become like the ketubah. Wow, we're living that kind of, we're living that kind of life. It's really who we are, not some air that we're putting on. This is what N.T. Wright talks about in his book, After You Believe, uh, where uh, he, uh, he talks about how... Um, this uh, uh, 
some type of candy that is very popular in Great Britain that has an emblem of the candy company. It's like a stick, like a peppermint stick, right? And it has the emblem of the candy company imprinted on the outside of it. And when you break it, you see it goes all the way through. It's not just on the side, on the out, some type of candy on the outside. It goes all the way through, meaning it's, it's, real, you know, it go, it's really what it is. And that is this ketubah of God. We become whom we were originally meant to be. Originally, when God created man in his image and his likeness, it was for this kind of relationship with him in the Garden of Eden. But now the great news is we can live this life. And so, therefore, we can then be a testimony to others who can say, hey, you know, you can have this kind of marriage with God. And you know, when you really live it out and you're victorious in it, people want to follow it. People like that and desire that in their lives. And so what a great celebration Shavuot is. And so let's take this day, if we're saying, well, boy, boy, have I ever been living a mediocre life? <laughs> you know, where, where's my, my marriage with God is nothing like uh, what, uh, what we're talking about here. What? So you start now. Don't lament. Don't pity yourself. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Say, oh, you know, as Linda Ronstadt once sang, poor pitiful me. You know, uh, I've been handed a, uh, I've been handed a, uh, uh, a hand of cards and it's just the way it is. And so I'll struggle. I'll get through it with the help of God and I'll crawl my way to heaven. You know, that is not the way it's supposed to be. All right. Yes, life is difficult. Life has its challenges and we face them. We deal with them. We cry with one another. We laugh with one another, but we keep moving forward forward, facing the Lord, one step at a time, facing him. And we do it together, you know? Uh, we do it together and, and we, we help each other along the way because as a community, the Spirit of God dwells within us. Not just me, but us. And with that kind of attitude, as Paul says, uh, think on these things. Uh, reckon yourself. That's what he said. You know, when he says reckon yourself, he says, says, believe this about you. Think this way. Think on these things. Dwell on the things above. So when we have this kind of attitude, we will see real deliverance. And let me just finish off by saying, when I say deliverance, I don't mean just simply having a, f- a fuzzy feeling inside of me and trusting God and that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But when I say deliverance, I mean delivered from these things. Delivered from, rescued from envy. Rescued from outbursts of anger. Rescued from negative ways of life. To use common terminology, whatever. You know, negative ways of life. Relationship-breaking ways of life. The ways of life that cause not just the breakage of uh, uh, individual relationships that cause millions of people to die in wars and for people to be abused. That's what we're delivered from. That's what Paul means when he says in Colossians chapter 1, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. He really means delivered, not just some ethereal thing out there. So that's how we have hope. 
Now it's true, there is the great paradox. We still have this flesh. We still have this life. And so we continually move forward and we'll never be perfect. But you know, may I suggest we can be a lot better than we are. And me at the top of the list. See? And so on Shavuot, we celebrate the empowerment of God. We celebrate this great uh, deliverance that God has wrought for this world. And isn't it sad that God has made this deliverance for the world, but the world won't receive the deliverance. The world would rather have peace treaties and truces, and the world would rather say, it's, I'm okay, you're okay. The world would rather say, uh, you know, my nation state is better than your nation state. Uh, I'm more powerful than you. That's what the world, that's what, that's what we'd rather do. But here, in the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh, it was not just for Israel. It wasn't just for, as we say, Jews and Gentiles. It was for the world. If only the world would receive the answer. It starts in our heart, in our home, in our friends, in our relationships, And so do you see the power that God has given us to transform this world? May we be about God's business. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you for Shavuot. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we broaden our worldview to move way beyond the Holy Spirit makes me feel good and worship well. And realize, God, the transformative power of the Ruach, of the Spirit that you have indeed imparted to us. Thank you, Lord, that it's not just a ketubah in a frame hanging on a wall. But mystically, invisibly, supernaturally, it has become part of our very being. Lord, just as we trusted you when we first received you into our lives, may right now on this Shavuot, we trust you for the empowerment of the Ruach HaKodesh. May we trust you for it, Lord. May we be people who engage in spiritual disciplines of prayer, study, and varieties of inward and outward disciplines, all cultivating, Lord, this relationship with you. May we communicate with you. May we live with you. May we dwell with you. And thank you, Lord. May we trust you, the groom, that you really have done what you've said you've done and that that abundant life is real and dwells within us. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.